Welcome to the Timeless Teachings podcast and Timeless Teachings YouTube channel. My name is Jana, and I'm your guide into the world of mysticism, spirituality, and consciousness in a practical and down-to-earth way. Here we have open and honest conversations with teachers, leaders, influencers, and simply ordinary people from all over the world about subjects that matter for our mind, body, and soul. It is all about weaving the sacred, the soulful, and the ordinary into our everyday life. Today our guest is Dr. Haridas Kaur, who is Kundalini lead teacher, trainer, and mentor, infinite goddess, training creator, entrepreneur, and explorer of creating happiness. In this episode, Haridas talks about her own journey into the world of Kundalini Yoga and teaches us the breath of fire. She explains its benefits, when and how to do it. She also touches upon the inner wisdom, how to access it, and shares how she draws deep inspiration from Yogi Bhajan teachings. We also discuss the difference between the guru versus non-guru path when it comes to choosing the direction of a spiritual journey. My favorite part of the interview is your answer to my question. If I were to ask you to give an advice to a seven-year-old, what would you say? And she responded brilliantly. Listen for yourself and let's welcome Haridas. Haridas, thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have you on Timeless Teachings podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jana. It's my pleasure to be here with you. And Kundalini Yoga is a very powerful practice that is very well known all over the world. And what I would like to start with our interview is your own personal journey. How did it all started for you? Oh, so long ago. Thank you for asking. It was, I think I was 27 at the time and about 20 years ago when I had three car accidents within three months and I just kept on getting pushed from behind. It was minor, but it was enough to toss my world upside down. And at the time I had been doing all kinds of yoga in Santa Monica. I had different studios I was going to. I was practicing Hatha, Vinyasa, Yin Yoga. But one day my Hatha teacher asked me to go chanting. And I thought, that's a great idea, let's go. I was born a Buddhist and I love chanting, why not? And what really moved me was stepping one time into Yoga West and seeing Yogi Bhajan's picture. And I thought, who is this man? He had this incredible gaze. And when we started chanting, I started feeling like this wave of energy moved through my spine. Of course, you know, in Kundalini Yoga, we have very short uh, spurts of uh, exercise, like timed movements, just for a few minutes. And then we inhale, hold the breath. And as we exhaled, you know, like... I was able to feel something I didn't feel before, even though I was level one, level two, level three Hatha yoga. And I thought, wow, this is the calmness of my mind that I never felt before. That combined with chanting, combined with being in Sangha and community, really touched my heart. And, and living in a city with 10 million people, 
I finally felt like I found my tribe. I found where I can go to relax. Mm, as you're sharing it, I'm getting the goosebumps all over my body, <laughs> <laughs> which is really, really beautiful and interesting. What is um, the difference, if I may ask this way, between the Kundalini yoga and all other types of yoga in your own personal experience? Okay. I would say um, in Hatha, and I enjoyed the flow of Hatha for many years, it, it uh, allowed me to stay in my body, to push the boundaries of my body and, and move into places with my breath. But as soon as I practiced Kundalini Yoga, it allowed me so much more access to my own breath that that was the focus. Like I was missing that in my many years of practice was, oh, I'm supposed to breathe more in what I'm doing because mm. they'll say breathe. But I didn't practice the many types of pranayama, the many types of meditation as I did in Kundalini Yoga. For me, it was the meditation I was missing. I was missing a lot of mental work because even though I've done all my yoga in, in laying out, right, we're doing our shavasana, my mind was racing and it kept racing and it kept going. Even though I'm exhausted, I can feel my physical body. <sighs> I didn't rest. I think that was the main key concept that was missing. My body was exhausted. I fell down. Right? I was absorbed in planet Earth, mm -hmm. but my mind didn't have an outlet to blow off its own steam. So my mind wasn't exhausted enough, or as I should say, the mind wasn't directed into another space. So then the looping thoughts, the haunting thoughts just came over, repeating itself and sucking up energy until I found Kundalini Yoga, meditation, pranayama. Oh, it was an outlet for my mind. I was finally able to access a part of my mind I didn't have access to before. So it was like a hidden door. And once that mm. door opened, there was no going back ever. <laughs> This is beautiful. I love how passionately you are sharing that. How long have you been practicing yourself Kundalini Yoga? Um, 20 years, actually. 20, 20 years. years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, if I may continue with uh, questions about your personal story, when you, you, you look at your own life and 20 years of practice, and then of course teaching now for many years, what has changed for you? The ability to fully show up. The ability to go beyond the mind of negative and positive and see what really is. Because truly, it's the journey of the soul. It's not how my mind is perceiving the world. It's not my consciousness. It's not my intelligence. It's me, as in the connection I have with my soul. That is who is embodying this space. When I was young, I thought I would chase. I would chase like... Uh, degrees. I would chase going to different schools, getting different titles, making lots of money, getting good jobs, you know? And at the end of that, I realized, what's the point of all this? I have an emptiness that I can't fulfill inside because I'm missing a key component in my life. And that was my own breath so that I can hear it and I can tune in. I didn't have a GPS. I had my mind. I had my thoughts. I had bad thoughts. I had traumatic thoughts. 
And they just kept repeating. So all I was, was living a nightmare over and over and over from whatever childhood, whatever experience we have, we just repeat those. So when can I possibly have a new idea? When can I possibly go, I want this for me? I would say I lacked self-authority. I didn't make decisions. I just went with the flow, you know, like, sure. Okay. But, but how do I get to a point of, but this is for me and I know it. I didn't accept it. So I think it's about presence, fully showing up for yourself and saying, this is right for me. Like knowing what is right for you and doing it is way different than someone else telling you, you know, you should do this. You Mm -hmm. should do that. Mm -hmm. Versus I feel this in my heart. I know I need to do this. So it takes courage. And I think I needed that, that place to ground down into being me to live a life with courage. No one tells you that. They don't teach you that in school. You know, they don't teach you the skills. <laughs> it's true. They it don't is. teach you. Go, yeah, right? They don't say, go be okay with yourself. Well, how do you be okay with yourself when we're full of conflicts, when we're full of polarities? So when we're able to step into that place of acceptance, I would say it's acceptance, then we can access that neutral mind. And in that neutral mind, we can see the good and the bad and then decide from there. Because when our mind is focused on only doing what is good, then we neglect this whole other side of us that is the polarity, that is just as powerful. But because we don't think it's good, we shut it down. Versus let's go explore that. Let's go see, let's accept all of me, the totality of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's where I am with it. Wow. So for you, Kundalini Yoga itself became your path. This is the path for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And everything is within this path. Everything I've ever wanted was in this path. Everything I didn't want was in this path. (laughs) (laughs) As it always comes with the spiritual path. (laughs) It is. It is. And truly that, that, you know, what what else is there? What you think in your mind is, is illusion. It's a fantasy versus what is reality and being able to accept what is and just in a neutral way, okay, how do I move from here? Where do I, what do I do with this information? How do I process this? How do I unpack this so that I can move on? Because really it's the soul's journey. It's not what my mind thinks. My soul has been here forever. It's on its own journey. This journey, this lifetime is for this soul. And I look at it as a benefit for my soul. All of these stories, all of these adventures is for me to experience in its fullness. However wonderful, however terrible, but that's what's happening. Accepting what is. Thank you for sharing. This is always very, um, very precious to get to know where people are coming from in their own personal story when it comes to the work they do because then it also helps people who are listening to us right now or watching to understand you more as a human being and to feel Mm. this connection, especially in the world that we have right now. And then when we have this connection and understanding, now I can ask you, okay, Haridas, if I were to ask you, what is Kundalini Yoga? And I never heard of the term before, assuming, what would you tell me? Oh, I would say it is a transportation system of energy. 
how we can move our energy through the chakras, through our 10 bodies and become solid in who we are so that whatever comes up in life, you're able to handle. What does it include? It includes some movement, some breath and directing the mind and meditation and chanting, of course, because that enables this whole system that we have because we are purely a vibration. And if we can become strong vessels of our energy, of our physical body, and direct our mind, our sound current would be so strong that your presence would penetrate the room just by being in it. That's it. So your practice is evidence of how you carry your energy and everyone will benefit from your practice because the more stable you become, the more of a container you hold for that energy to move through the room, to move through the world. And anyone who feels that kind of energy will be coming towards you because they can't understand it. They can't explain it, but they feel really good when they're with you. Mm -hmm. And it's not a place of judgment. It's not a place of nothing. I, I can say nothing. Right. And it would affect someone yeah. else just by you being fully you living your frequency, living your truth as you. That is the most contagious of all energy. Is your happiness. I love it. I love it. And this is what I guess in other words, we also say it's this inner illumination, right? Or what people call perhaps magnetism or charisma. It's exactly what you said. Like some we all know people who walk into the room and everyone just looks at this person before he or she even said anything. Mm -hmm. It's about this presence. And so what you're saying is that when we practice Kundalini Yoga, then we anchor more in our presence and there is more light, there is more energy. And when we then interact with other people, it just comes through a lot also in nonverbal communication, which then translates pretty much in all areas of our life, whether it is personal area, professional area, uh, spiritual area, right? So it depends because on this uh, in our in our in our community we have a variety of people who will be listening to us. Some of them are teachers and they're looking how to upgrade themselves. Some of them are beginners and they're just curious about the spirituality and mysticism and consciousness and they're just starting this journey. So let's say mm. for someone who perhaps listening to us right now and especially if you feel it in your body and I'm saying it to our dear audience today as you're listening to Harida sharing and you may be getting goosebumps or energy or this feeling in your heart right when the body starts resonating with this so especially if that is happening then you might want to ask yourself if you want to try at least Kundalini Yoga if you haven't done it yet and so for those who are just at the beginning for example um, what would you tell them? I would say breathe, breathe. Mm. Okay. And, and in physical, in the physicality of the body, it is known that the first 45 minutes starts to unlock the hormones, starts to unlock the movement of hormones. So if you can start moving every day for 45 minutes and then take that sweat and go and meditate, start to direct the mind start to direct the mind. So my first thing I would suggest is doing some breath of fire, doing a breath so that it gets so rhythmic that you become relaxed into the rhythm. When you relax into the rhythm, it 
pulls you into a place where it's so magnetic that it doesn't require a lot of energy. And when you're able to stay in that place that doesn't require a lot of energy, you get to experience your own power. And that's why your practice becomes so delicious. Like, yes, I can't wait to practice more of it because it increases your energy. It really does. So, but the end of that breath is a big inhale and hold. Then you hold that breath and it's the, uh, it's called the mulabund. So it's the root lock and you hold that energy and you squeeze it up the spine. And as you exhale it, it magnet, mag, mag projects outward, like it magnifies outward. And then so your wattage of your light bulb becomes brighter and brighter and brighter. And it's from your constant practice. You know, they say that it is one thing when we talk about something, it is very different to experience it. So since you already started telling us about the breath of fire, how about we show people how to do this? Would you like to guide okay. us through this? Sure, I would love to. So go ahead and place your hands in thumb and index finger, you know, Gyan Mudra. It's the seal of wisdom. And just relax it down on your knees, yeah? And sit with the tall spine, chest out, chin in. And just breathe through your nose, in and out through your nose. It's just a rhythmic breath. Sniff in and out through your nose. So just work on your nose. Just focus on your nose. Rhythmic in and out. Same length of breath, in and out. And if that feels good, you can go a little bit faster. And now start to focus your mind on inhale sut, exhale nam, the sound of sut nam at your third eye. So as I'm breathing, I'm chanting in my mind, sat na, sat na. And let's go for two whole minutes right here. Increase your breath volume. Faster. 
and a big inhale. Hold that breath, squeeze root lock, squeeze anus, sex organs, navel, pull the energy all the way up the spine, sit really tall, tongue touches root of the mouth, stay focused, stay contained, be still. Through your nose, exhale. Inhale, hold again. Hold, squeeze, lift upward. Exhale. Last time, in and hold. Exhale, relax. And breathe. Breathing in that natural breath that wants to take over, that wants to flush into the body, allow it to come in. And exhale. So keeping your eyes closed, sometimes you feel a bit lightheaded. Sometimes it feels like a flush to the system. So just allow yourself a moment or two to just breathe and allow this upgraded new breath frequency to wash, wash over you. And inhale. Exhale. And set. So that was just a very short three-minute practice of rhythmic breathing, rhythmic breath of fire, where the breath length is the same on the inhale, on the exhale, and it's just that rhythmic pulsing breath that moves through the body. So it is a very civilized, contained breath. So it's not a lot of movement in the body. It's just literally breathing in and out of your nose. Doesn't the world seem a little bit brighter? Oh, amazingly <laughs> bright. And also so much energy in the body. So now I understand why you call it fire breathing. Definitely it is so much energy moving. And just there. It feels like all the senses are just much heightened. Like everything, the vision, the the sounds, the perception, it just enhanced. Yes, Beautiful. thank you for saying that, Yana, because, you know, in the navel, this navel center, in Chinese medicine, it's uh, the Dantian point, is known as the sea of 10,000 diseases. So it's contained in the navel. So when we can pulse that breath, it's actually in and out through your nose, but when properly done, you move the navel because it's just automatic. So that navel comes in and out, but don't focus on the navel or else it becomes overly done. So you just breathe in and out through your nose and you're moving that energy that's stored in the navel, which is your third chakra, which is the muladhara. Uh, and, and it is the, it's not, it's the navel point that releases so much of that power, so much of the thought, so much of the willpower, it's stored in the navel. So when you can get to that rhythmic breath, you're combining the first, the second chakra, and it starts to disseminate, pulse, pull the energy upward into the higher chakras. So could you say that, out. yes, could you say that this practice also helps us to ground? 
to our in our body and our beingness to become more grounded and more centered? Why, yes, of course, mm-hmm. it has to. Mm-hmm. It has mm-hmm. to because you do the physical part of it and then it combines with the prana and it combines with the meditation so that you're going through all of your 10 bodies. You're moving through all of your energy centers and redistributing so that you become more balanced, more peaceful, more at ease. Mm-hmm. And I just would like to clarify a few little bit small things to make sure that we got the practice right. And also for those who are listening to us, that people actually mm-hmm. understand, right? So when we said that first we start with the mudra, and those who are watching, they saw your mudra, and those who are listening, so we put the index and the thumb together, right? It's important so that we know which mudra yes. to do. Yes. Right. This and is just exactly. seal of wisdom. You can sit and relax like this. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. very powerful practice we have is actually ego eradicator where the arms are up and back. So you could do breath of fire like this and it pulls the energy all the way upward. Mm-hmm. So stretching your hands mm-hmm. up and kind of your thumb is stretched and then all other four fingers. It's like a tiger claw a little bit, right? Yes. Yeah. So you curl your fingers mm-hmm. into the pad. Mm-hmm. The thumbs aim at each other. And you pull the hands arms up, up lock mm-hmm. the elbows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is called and ego eradicator. Beautiful. And when you do this breathing, you breathe rhythmically through the nose with your mouth closed. And what's mm-hmm. happening to our navel? Do we relax the navel? Do, is, do, we, do we bring any attention there? Or we just allow our navel kind of to breathe to get like the way how body wants to do this? Exactly. Exactly. I would say focus on your nose when you breathe. And allow the body to flush out the system, you know, allow the energy to move through the system. Um, If we say navel, it it happens to be um, overdone. A lot of people overdo it Mm -hmm. and they do this kind of movement. Mm, And then they move the shoulders smooth. Mm -hmm. Right. So so you don't see my shoulders jumping up and down. So that's why I don't really focus on the navel. The navel does it automatically if you just breathe in and out of your nose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we have been doing it for three minutes, right? So yes. we could say that it is it is safe for anyone. Are there any restrictions? Or no, you could say no, it is safe for anyone, any age, probably, right? Any physical oh, condition. Okay, so just to make sure people I, who are listening, right? So they know what to do. <laughs> okay, great, great. Yes, there is... Um, um, let's say to be on the safe side, anyone who's pregnant, anyone yeah. the first three days of their menstrual cycle, let's, mm-hmm. let's not do breath of fire mm-hmm. or you can do mm-hmm. it very lightly because this requires the navel to move a lot. So just, if you can do it very lightly or just do long, deep breathing instead. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, mm-hmm. let's say maybe people who have high blood pressure, it, it should be fine, right? There is no risk there. Just checking because my mom has high blood pressure. So I know there are certain breathings wouldn't work for her. So I'm just checking you know, on behalf of people. <laughs> Thank you. This is interesting of a conversation because, you know, in body work, what we teach and what we practice is use it or lose it. Use that muscle or it becomes flaccid, right? Use it or lose it. So if you're having some kind of, uh, I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm just going to say, mm-hmm. if they you might, feel right? inspired... <laughs> Right. If you feel inspired to practice a breath, do it to your ability. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if maybe 10 seconds, maybe not the whole three minutes, maybe just a little bit. And then inhale, hold. And then exhale, relax. 
Maybe do that for a while so that you can build your, your endurance to three minutes. But it's a wonderful practice to breathe and flush the body with that breath. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And is it better to do this in the mornings or in the evenings? Whenever you what can is- remember it. <laughs> <laughs> you can remember. <laughs> I'm just asking because where I am right now in uh, in Europe, right, and you are in in the United States. So for you, it is morning. For me, it is evening. And I'm just thinking for myself, there's no way I'm going to go to sleep immediately after this breathing. <laughs> well, well, hold on now, hold on. If if it's done right, breath of fire is considered one breath, and it is mm. a completely it's relaxing I, I know it sounded energetic but you can do it so relaxing and it will put you in a beautiful state all you're doing is bringing more prana into your system so you can do it at night you can do it in the morning you can do it more like faster like more intensely if you want to wake up or you can do it slower and you can actually bring yourself more grounded into a certain space for sleep mm-hmm. beautiful and thank you for ask, answering all my questions i'm just asking on behalf of people who might be thinking and cannot ask you so i'm doing on behalf of everyone here <laughs> and, i appreciate uh, just, it thank you <laughs> and uh, just one more uh about the satnam Right, so I'm sure there will be people who are listening to us who maybe have never heard it before. So if you just mm-hmm. explain us a little bit, what does it actually mean, the satnam, when we say those, okay. right, as a mantra on the inhalation and exhalation? Right, right. So when we say satnam, sat, S-A-T, nam, N-A-M, it has the punj shabit in it. It has the five original sounds in it. The s-t-n-m-a, right? So that's satnam. And it also Mm -hmm. represents the five elements that we are. So earth, ether, water, fire, air. So when we have those five elements, you're saying satnam, satnam, satnam. You're saying, bring me to my original frequency, my original combination that brought me here, which is the elements. We're all made up of these five elements. So you're saying, bring me to my best combination of elements. So when you say satnam, 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 let it become a mantra that pulses through you because it just means truth, truth. Bring me to my truth. Bring me to my identity, to that part of me that exists. So it's just, you know, allowing your mind to focus on something. It's called a drishti, a focus, you know, whether it's a look focus or a mental focus, but tune your mind into your own frequency. So when you hear me say sat nam on the inhale, like sat on the inhale, nam on the exhale, sat nam for me sounds like sat nam, sat nam, sat nam, sat nam, sat nam. So it's just to tune my mind into something versus I'm breathing, but I'm thinking about my laundry, my list of things to do, what I want to eat on and on, you know, like, hey, mind shut down, focus on something, right? It's just saying focus, focus, bring it here. So that my mind is focused on a mantra, on a sound, on a movement, on a breath, on a mudra. So my mind is focusing on something else internally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It teaches us to be more present again and more balanced. And um, the next question. So if we could move on, right? So I think now we understood the, the practice and the secret is clearer. And if it is not then um, 
We will be providing the links to your website <laughs> and social media. And I don't expect you to answer questions from all the people who might be reaching out. But I'm just saying that for those who perhaps feel that, oh, I love it. How it is. It's amazing how I feel right now. Then absolutely go and check out your classes and try to, you know, really learn and understand. But even this, this practice the breath of fire, the way how you showed and explained it. I mean, if uh, we just do this every day, it already has tremendous benefits. So speaking about the everyday practices, how does your day look like mm, when it comes to your question. own practice? Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually two in the morning. It's usually, I, I, I like to practice during the Amrit Vela. It's, it's before dawn. It's in the darkest hour of night. So it's at two or three in the morning. I dedicate one hour, at least one hour to my practice. I, I read my Jepji, which is this beautiful poetry, this uh, Shabbat, this, this practice of the Sikhs where they sing the song of the soul. So I read my Jepji. I tune in. I do a little bit of my yoga practice. Actually, it's, it's a, a Kriya that I love to do. And uh, it, it's for... Uh, being physically strong and strong digestion and, and immune system so that I can do that. And then I do 120 frogs. I do 108 frogs just to get my lower body worked out. And then I sit and meditate for 31 minutes. So I do at least an hour practice every day, but I can be anywhere in the world and I can do that hour practice. So it, I can do it um, pre-dawn. I can do it in the evening. I can do it in the afternoon. It's whenever you can fit it in. But for me, it's a priority. I have never missed a day of my sadhana because I need to do it for me. I can't teach something I don't practice. So I definitely have to go into that mm. space. But also my own sadhana, which is means daily practice, is a place for me to unwind, a, na- a place for me to connect to my soul, to allow that space to come through for me versus what my mind thinks I should be doing right? We get so mm-hmm. trapped in our minds and it's thinking and what's important versus let's reset. Let's reset and see what new energy is coming through me. Because if we don't allow for that creativity and relaxation to step in, we end up being robotic. We end up being the same, same, same all the time. So how do we allow that new energy to come through? So then we have to connect with our own soul. We have that space to really settle down. 2 a.m. every day. Mm. That's impressive. <laughs> Actually, anytime after midnight works for me. Yeah, yeah. Anytime <laughs> after midnight works. Mm-hmm. And do you go to sleep after this or you continue your day? Oh, no, no. I sleep. I sleep. Yeah, I sleep. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I'm. Uh, it's, a, it's a gentle reminder that I haven't done my sadhana now for a while. So I'm like, yep. So Haridas is... It's like, you know, this tingle from the universe. I'm like, yep, daily practice. I remember my teacher saying this to me. (laughs) So thank you for this gentle nudge in this direction. (laughs) Absolutely. But daily practice can be any time of the day. Okay. Like don't get caught up on, oh, if it's three o'clock, four o'clock, seven o'clock, it's whenever you get up or it's right before you go to bed. It's just take some time for yourself. That's all. That's all. And, and don't be stuck on the timing thing. You know, of course, when we have level one teacher trainings, we do practice at 4 a.m. during the Amrit Vela, that darkest hour of night. We do practice from four to six. But I like to do my own practice before I do the group practice because I, I'm 
in my own space. Yeah, but for you, just whenever you get up and always use it as a good experience, you know, like any day you practice is a good day. And any day you don't practice, it's still a good day. So don't ever use it to beat yourself up, you know? Wow, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And since we're speaking about the practices and the teachers, I would like to talk a little bit about Yogi Bhajan. Since, you know, we cannot talk about Kundalini, Kundalini Yoga without mentioning oh, his name, yeah. right? I mean, this oh, is yeah. very, very important. And so you mentioned that it means that you have never m met him, no. right? In a, in a kind of face-to-face -face, uh, type of interaction. Not in, yeah, not in his physical form, no. So for you, the entire connection, you could say it was a metaphysical connection. Yeah, books and, and books and videos, you know, books mm -hmm. and videos and photos mm -hmm. like that's that's how I got to to be in the teachings. Yes. And what was or what is right your own um, experience of that connection with him? I only met and practiced with teachers who have practiced with him. So I mm -hmm. never met Yogi Bhajan, but I can tell you from all the videos that I watched of him, especially through our level one and level two courses, every time I watch a video from him, it feels like he's talking to me personally. Anytime I, I get a message, I'm like, oh, wow, that was for me. He was said that for me. I needed to hear that because his message is so timeless and so universal that when I heard it, I felt this instant acknowledgement that I needed to hear this today, whether it was a discipline, whether it was a joke, whatever it was, you know, sometimes you have that kind of connection with a teacher that goes through time and space. So, yeah, I love the community that he brought together, the people that come to solstices and all these events of white tantric yoga. I have expanded. I have been my, to one. My, yeah, I've expanded <laughs> myself yoga, being in yes. those meditations. Yes, it's so powerful, no? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know the, the, the man they call Yogi Bhajan, but I know the teacher and the teachings that has been passed through, through the books, through the writings, through the videos. And I would say, hands down, this is the only person that I've never met that has changed my life so much from the 50 years of his teachings, you know? So I'm very grateful for this incredible master teacher that came down and taught us these things. I don't know him as a person, but I do know what he taught and what I experience in my space while I'm meditating or practicing with him. I feel that you said actually something really, really important right now, and it's important that we just highlighted for people. Um, there's almost a difference in the way between a teacher and the teaching, right? And all good teachers if we just look historically of uh, what happened is we're saying pretty much the same thing that they were saying that every human being, you know, as any human being might have, you know, pluses and minuses in their characters, like we all do. And all teachers always have this. And then at the same time, there are, you know, some, some of us, right. Who become of that conscious expansion, able to teach us this very, um, precious path, because I can't find a better word, you know, to describe it, right, to our self-realization mm -hmm. that just resonates with so many people. And 
it brings us to this very interesting subject about gurus in general. So not specifically even Yogi Bhajan. And the reason why I'm touching upon this because people often ask themselves to go with guru or without, right? Which is a really big, big subject. So there are always, and I have tried both. I have been part of my journey without Guru, and then I found a teacher and I decided to stay with this person for quite a while because it resonated with me. So I kind of tried both and to see, you know, what works, what doesn't, right? In in both choices. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I know that in the spiritual communities or in general um, around the world, there is this um, almost like a new age movement so be your own teacher, right? Be your own guru. No one kind of knows really what is good for you. You have to figure out everything yourself. And I have my own view on that. But before I share this, I would like to just hear yours and your own experience. So for people who are reflecting right now, right, who are at this crossroad and they're thinking, okay, I would like to go on a spiritual path, but then... Do I go in the in one way where I follow a guru or do I go the other way where I'm trying to figure out within myself what is my own wisdom? So what, what would you tell them? <laughs> I know it's a tough that question. Is... How it does. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a tough question. <laughs> it, it is, but yet it's simple. You know, we, we want the teachings, but we don't want to do the work, right? So if you commit to a path, you commit to a teacher, they're going to bring you on this incredible journey. Some you'll like, some you don't want it. You, you don't want to at all. But then it's just the question of you have to find your own truth. Everything will be presented. You have to find your own truth. That's just how it is. It's never not been like that. It's always been like that. It's just now people are pushing more and more towards the non-guru part. And and guru just means teacher, the one that takes you from darkness mm -hmm. to light. Mm -hmm. So it's us that have put people up on high pedestals, right? The teacher is just the teacher. The teacher is doing whatever the teacher is doing. It's us that have uh, wanted to um, celebrate or, or, or uh, put that person on a pedestal because everyone is human. Everyone is flawed. So the question is, do you want to go with those teachings or not? Right. That's just the question. So many people just want to take the goods and not deal with the rest of it. And I'm just saying, you got to figure that out for yourself. But if you want to get something that you don't already have, somehow you have to get it. So if you don't want it, just walk away, right? But if you want it, you got to do the work for it. I, I think that's the price to pay for admission. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. You know, I, I say that to me, it's a little bit like climbing Mount Everest. And I haven't climbed Mount Everest. I've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. But even that, wow. I don't think I would have made it without a guide. This is my point, right? And and so Mount Everest is probably a bit more, I mean, this is the most dangerous climb in the world. And to me, spiritual journey is exactly like that. If we really talk about the spiritual journey, right? We could do, you know, of course, we could look at the yoga, we could look at the Kundalini yoga as as a um, lifestyle, it's good for our body, it's good for our mind, it makes us healthier, it makes our mind more stable, it helps us to connect to our higher self. It's wonderful. 
But then if we go a bit further and we say, okay, this is my spiritual journey, then spiritual journey to me is like climbing Mount Everest in a way. <laughs> you kind of never really know whether you're going to make it or not. And there are many um, ways it could possibly go wrong, like with any journeys like this. You can get lost in the kind of sophistication of your own mind and mental projections and all kind of other things, right? And usually the mm -hmm. higher you, you think you go, the more dangerous it becomes. So, and so like in my experience, I always find, at least for me, it definitely helps to have a person that keeps myself in check and my own ego in check, right? So it's like when we, with what he said, when we... Um, surrender to the teaching and we surrender to the guidance of someone else that maybe yes I mean some people could say that if um, you sort of put responsibility on someone else's shoulder in the way but I, I would not I would not probably entirely agree with that because you still have to walk your path <laughs> however you still have to own all your stuff right and you still have to it's deal so with all your shadows and it is just if you are lucky and if you really have you know good karma and all of those things and you meet the person who is right for you then this person just able to show very precisely what you have to work on and i think this has always been the promise in those communities that you're talking about right and yet we still have to accept the fact that every teacher is human and that mm -hmm. some teachers are total tricksters and that you can't mm -hmm. trust them because they will play with you. Like they are here to challenge you. They're here to challenge your ego. So the moment you think you understand something is the moment you don't understand. Right. So that's why we have to cultivate this internal world where we are you know, we are like they say, like we want to know the guru inside. Well, how can you know the guru inside when there is so much tricksters and so many games that we play? How do we cut through that place of mayhem and chaos? How do we find our own truth? So that's why we have these practices. That's why we look for a higher, more serene frequency to tap into. And that's the, the Shabbat guru. That's the sound. That's the teacher. Yeah, mm, I'm yes, totally I in that. agreement with you, Yana. Mm. Yes, I love that. And, and again, just, you know, it's like a little, like a reminder to, to everyone who is listening that is exactly what you said. It's always important to remember to never idealize a teacher, any teacher, right? So it's what you keep repeating that every human is human and every human has flaws and every human teacher has flaws, regardless of the accomplishment, of the spiritual accomplishment. It has always have been, is, and will be this way. I don't think it will ever change. And, um, and I feel that all those uh, stories that has been also in so many schools and historically also happened to so many teachers, it's always this idealization of a human being, which is just a huge mistake of itself. And that's what he's saying. So when we choose to follow the teaching, we choose to listen to the guidance and at the same time, cultivating your own inner wisdom and your own inner understanding. So it's like, basically you're taking the best of the two. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yes, I, I think love that it. is the way. Mm, 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this today. And um, we are coming soon to the end of the hour conversation. The time just flies very, mm. very quickly with you. So fast. And uh, yeah, so before we do that, I just would like to ask uh, a few more questions. And uh, one of them, if you were to give an advice to someone who is, let's say, seven years of age right now, <laughs> male or female, what would you say? Okay, the funny thing is, you know, we don't really give advice in Kundalini Yoga. Because oh. it's worth, you, yeah, yeah, I tell you, I tell you why. Because um, when you tell someone something and they didn't ask for it, it's called free advice. I like and your honesty on that. <laughs> free advice is worth nothing, right? So unless a seven-year-old is really asking me, Auntie Haridas, tell me, tell me, and then I would. But honestly, when people don't ask, I don't tell. I don't, I'm not a Kundalini missionary that go out there and try to spread the good word of Yogi Bhajan. You know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just me. I'm doing my thing. You do your thing, you know, but if there was a young person asking for my wisdom, if there was, um, that, that is the question, right? Yana, that is the question. I feel like I really would love to hug you, to hug you right now, right? <laughs> so you, you kind of just answered it already. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, <laughs> I can see the, uh, the, I can see the teacher tricks, the calls. So, so you students probably have a lot of fun with you. <laughs> yes, it's yes, not easier, <laughs> right? So it's, you know, we uh, have this tendency. We we have this tendency that we just want to tell people all the time what to do, and and who said we had that right you know let people do what they're already doing it's called tolerance yeah. it's called compassion it's called kindness just let them do what they're doing unless someone's in a lot of pain and suffering and ask me honestly hey i've got this situation what can i do and they were earnest with that question and yeah okay you know because the other part of me is i i'm a i'm, I'm have a phd in natural health so people come in with all kinds of questions and i said well if you're really honest about it and you want to work on it then, you know, we can schedule an appointment and address this issue. But most of the time when people tell me things, I, you're just, I'm just listening. You know, I'm not trying to give you advice because you're not listening anyways. So why would I tell you anything? Because you're not listening, right? Like, like it's, let's be honest with that. Because most of us, when we tell each other problems, it's just to talk about the problem. It's to mm -hmm. let you know I have a problem. I don't want you to fix it. Uh, no, no. I just want you to know that I have this problem and I'm uh, mentally talking about this problem. And so it's in communication. Phenomenal. Yes. And also phenomenal healthy boundaries that you have on all level, right? Mental, physical, emotional, energetical. This is. Uh, This is uh, actually very inspirational, Haridas, because I don't know many people who would be able to be so clear about it. So that is beautiful to see. So thank you. I think it's all about energy management, Yana. If, it's, if I could tell you anything about the world, I would say, how does it affect your energy and do you want to get involved? About any situation, is it your problem to fix? No, then keep your nose out of it right? Just let people be themselves. That's compassion. That's kindness. 
with these words, I feel we are coming to the end of our interview <laughs> because I just don't think we will be able to top it up with anything else. That's like the gold right there. So let's just pause and who knows, we might have, not have another one at some point, but I feel that this is already a lot of here for people to process. So let's give the time and space for everyone. Remember guys, and girls, the fire breathing, right? Doing your sadhana and listening to your inner wisdom with healthy boundaries. <laughs> Those were my probably um, highlights or the takeaway today from the conversation with you. And of course, um, just from the energy point, you are such a delight to be in your presence. So thank you for joining us today, Haridas. Thank you, Yana. It's been my pleasure. Wow. Thank you for listening and thank you for watching Timeless Teachings Podcast and Timeless Teachings YouTube channel are the online platforms for raw, real, and unfiltered conversations about spirituality, mysticism, and consciousness in a practical and down-to-earth way. We invite guests from all over the world to show you the variety of systems, schools, tools, and life stories that give the promise of illumination or what is called liberation in all aspects of a human life. It is up to you to decide which path resonates with you the most at this moment of your life. Only you know what is right for you. Did you enjoy the interview? Feel free to share this episode with friends, subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel, and follow us on social media. Stay wild and be humble. До встречи!